will be given the, the throne of David by God himself. And this kingdom of this child will never end. Mary, understandably, has a question to ask. How can this be since I'm a virgin? And Gabriel explains what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon her and she will become pregnant. Now, I don't know if this fully answers Mary's question. My guess is it probably doesn't. But what's clear from what Gabriel explains to her in Luke chapter 1 is that God is up to something. Something extraordinary is about to happen, and Mary herself is part of this extravagant plan. Gabriel's final words to Mary are this, nothing is impossible with God. And so at this point in the story, as we can imagine, Mary has some pretty significant decisions to make in her own life. Will she share this news with Joseph, the man that she's pledged to be married to? If so, when is she going to tell him? How in the world is she going to explain this to him? Now, Luke doesn't tell us how this happened, when this happened. He really doesn't tell us much of anything about Joseph. Really, the only thing that, gosp- that the Gospel of Luke says about Joseph, two things. He's a descendant of King David, and he's pledged to be married to this young woman named Mary. He focuses the bulk of his writing on Mary. And why shouldn't he? It's a pretty incredible story that we continue to celebrate at this time every single year. But Matthew is the other gospel writer who gives us an account of what happened at the birth of Jesus. And he gives us a lot more information about Joseph. And what we learn about Joseph is that just like Mary, he has a lot of decisions to make. I'd like you to take your your Bibles, whether you have a, a Bible in the form of a book like I have, or whether you use that on your phone or, or uh, some other device, cu- turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. It's the very first book in the New Testament. And if we jump to verse 18, we read that Mary is pledged to be married to Joseph, but before them have come together, before they've consummated their marriage, Mary becomes pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And so we're very much on track with what Luke tells us in his account of this story. And in the very next verse, verse 19 of chapter 1, the spotlight is then placed on this character of Joseph and this very, very peculiar situation that he is in. He's engaged to a woman who is pregnant, so what will he do? What decision will he make? Verse 19 says this, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, I'm reading from a version of the Bible called the NIV, the New International Version. And I use the version, because this is an older Bible and I'm a little bit old school, this is the 1984 edition. So the, the editors and the translators who take the original Greek language, which is how the New Testament was written, uh, they hum and they haw about the original meaning, and then they do their very best to contextualize it to modern English so that we can understand it. And so the NIV has updated itself throughout the years in, in different cycles. It just re-updated in 2011, I believe. And so this 1984 version of, of uh, the NIV has always kind of puzzled me because it describes Joseph, who we really don't know much of anything at all about. He's described as a righteous man. And yet, in the same sentence, he's also said that he's planning on divorcing his soon-to-be wife, who's done nothing wrong, right? 
Now, granted, Joseph's planning on doing this discreetly, but seeing how uh, Mary's not in the wrong at all, it's hard to understand how Joseph could be described as a righteous man and yet do this to Mary at the same time. Now, I mentioned that the NIV has had a recent update, and they've clarified this confusion that some of us may have a bit by replacing the word righteous with the words faithful to the law. And this is a better translation from what what we have here in the context because it's not so much uh, the character of of Joseph here, which it is part of the meaning here, but it's his careful obedience to the law. Righteousness is a term that's used comparatively. Whenever we speak of someone being right or righteous, we're comparing it to something else. There's a measuring tool that helps someone understand whether or not they make the mark, whether they are righteous. And throughout the Bible, the measuring tool was the Word of God, all often called the law, the law that was handed over to Moses and to the Israelites and, and that continued on into the time of Joseph. And so what this means is that Joseph not only has a, a very good understanding of what's in the law, but he has, he has the, the credibility that he is obedient as well. He follows the law as best as he can. And so this is what we see here is that Joseph was, in fact, a righteous man because he was justified by living out the words of the Lord. And in this particular situation, he's engaged. He's pledged to be married to this woman. Now, in our world, we use the word engagement very differently than in first century Jewish world. If a couple decides to become engaged, then basically we understand that they are They have an intention and they have a plan to get married. Sometimes people set dates. Sometimes it's kind of that ambiguous, we're going to get married someday. But in either case, there's this plan going forward that they're going to be united under a a legal wedding together. But the engagement itself has no legal ramifications. If the couple decides for whatever reason to break their engagement, uh, really there there isn't any legal things that they need to do. But this wasn't the case for a first century Jewish couple. The engagement was part of the legal marriage process. And so even though the engaged couple wouldn't live together, even though they wouldn't consummate their marriage together, if they'd, they'd already entered into a binding contract when they chose to be engaged. And so this is why some of the terminology here in this story can be a little bit confusing because that Joseph is pursuing a divorce even though they're not officially married. And so within this situation where there is, looks like there is marital infidelity here, there's adultery here that Mary has committed, the law states that what would be required would be a termination of the marriage. And as a man who is very careful to live according to the law, Joseph decides that this is what he must do. But he decides he's going to do this in a very private way. This would eliminate the very public scene of a formal accusation and a shameful trial, but it would still be in keeping with the law. Now, we don't know how difficult this decision was for Joseph. We don't know how much time it took for Joseph to make this decision. But based on the words that Matthew used to describe what happened, it appears that Joseph reaches his decision before an angel appears to him in a dream. And the reason this seems likely, if if we study the text uh, quite closely and we go back to the original Greek words, Uh, Joseph's actions are stated in the aorist tense, and the aorist basically is just the past tense. It means something that's happened in the past. And so it suggests that Joseph has already made up his mind about what he's going to do before he goes to sleep that night. 
An author of a commentary on the book of Matthew named R.T. France, he provides his own translation of this story from the original Greek based on his findings of the heiress tense. Listen to how he translates this. He says, Joseph, her husband, because he was a righteous man and yet did not want to expose her to scandal, came to the conclusion, there we have the heiress past tense there, that he should break the engagement privately. But when he had decided on this, past tense once again, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So it seems most likely that Joseph had his plan in place before the angel comes. He had made up his mind. And then once the angel appears to him in a dream and explains the situation to him and tells him what the Lord would have him do, we find out in verse 24 that, jo- that when Joseph wakes up from his sleep, he does what the Lord has commanded him to do. In other words, his mind is changed. He had one decision before he went to bed, and he came up with a new choice in the morning. Whenever I come to a point in my life where I've made a decision, especially a significant decision, one that seems quite important and heavy, I find it very difficult to then change my mind. I don't know about you, but I think all the time and the effort, the research, um, the discernment I've done, uh, my own hopes of, of being faithful to what God would have me do, my conversations with people, my gut feeling, that huge combination of everything that we use to make our decision. When I come to that decision, why in the world would I want to change my mind? Like, it feels like I would just be undermining and throwing away all the time and effort that I had spent before coming to that initial decision. And this is a really, really big decision for Joseph. This is his wife. This is his future. This is his family. This is his faith, his obedience to the law. This is his beliefs working itself out into his actions. It will forever impact his life. And so he reaches this point of coming to a decision, and then he has a dream. What amazes me about Joseph is not just his willingness to obey what the angel of the Lord tells him to do, but his willingness to follow what he's told to do, even when it goes against what he previously decided. And what he had decided to do was God-honoring. It's not like Joseph just thought to himself, you know what, what's the best thing that I can do for myself? How can I save face? How can I set myself up to to serve my own needs overall anyone else? No, Joseph went through the the difficult process of considering what what has God commanded me and my people to do in a situation like this? How can I be most respectful and gracious to Mary through this situation? And he calculates all this together and he comes to a decision and yet he's told by the Lord to do something a little bit different than that. God gives him a different plan and he chooses to trust and to obey. How often do you allow God to influence your decisions? Do you really pursue what God would have you do? Or do you simply make your own choices based on what you want to do? Now, there's a spectacular element to Joseph's story, right? We shouldn't discount this. And maybe some of you are are thinking this to yourself. Well, Keith, it's one thing to try to do what the Lord says, but it's very different when you have an angel of the Lord appear to you in a dream. I mean, this would get anyone's attention. And you could have argued that it would be more surprising if Joseph didn't obey than if he did because what a huge revelation that God provided him with. A supernatural dream where he's told directly what to do. But I think each and every one of us have the tendency to explain things away. Whether God speaks to us softly, 
whether he speaks to us very loud and clearly, we sometimes have that ability to explain that circumstance away. We might experience something very significant in the moment and then rationalize it later on. It wasn't really God speaking to us. It was just a random circumstance. It was just some of my own thoughts. It was just a, a poor dinner from the night before. It's just my stress and, and, and my, my anxiety about what I'm up against. Joseph could have woken up from his dream and he could have done the same thing. He could have thought to himself, I don't know if that really happened. Let me get my head back and into the sphere I was thinking of the night before. Remember my initial decision. This seemed like a good decision, but no, Joseph didn't do that. He woke up and he trusted and he obeyed. The question for us to consider is, are we willing to allow God to speak into our decisions? And once we hear from him, are we willing to trust him and to obey him, even if it doesn't make complete sense to us in that moment, even if it goes against a little bit of a previous decision that we had come up with. A few months ago, I heard a story from a family in our church that very much relates to this story of, of Joseph, uh, grappling with, with different options as he comes to a decision, uh, trying to listen to the Lord and, and get an idea of what he should do. Dan and Laura Martins have been members of our church for a long time, and each of them are school teachers. They have two young daughters. And uh, about a year ago or so, they began looking for a new home. And so as they went through that process of searching for a home and all the decisions that come along with that, you know, finances, where you want to live, schools, all those sorts of questions, they happened to, to find a home in Walnut Grove that was on foreclosure. Now, you add looking at a home that's, that's on foreclosure to the mix, and now you're, you're set up with even more questions, right? Is this really a wise option? How fit is the home? What happened with the previous owner? And then the whole bidding process. I don't know if some of you have been involved in that as well, but each home that's on foreclosure, it seems to have a, a different process for how bids are collected and who ends up getting the home and all the stress and legal fees and all that stuff that comes along with it. And so this process was full of decisions and and uh, Dan and Laura, they had a number of them to make together. And Dan, can you come up at this point, please? And I want Dan to share the rest of the story with us uh, a little bit about what that looked like, about together with, with Laura, trying to discern what God would have them do together and the way that he ended up speaking to them and their follow through with that. This one's live. Sorry, I forgot the other microphone. No problem. All right. Well, I'm, I'm questioning my decision of choosing to say yes to Keith <laughs> about sharing. Uh, maybe I should change that one. Yeah, so um, Laura and I have been looking at houses for a year, roughly. And it relates a little bit to what Keith is talking about, obviously. Uh, God, you, as you'll find out, God spoke to us in an interesting way. We chose to listen. Um, also, yeah, I'm going to have to in, and understand this. If you're not in the realty market, houses in Langley are expensive. I'm going to have to use numbers, but I think you'll understand uh, how powerful that is uh, as I get into it. Uh, our house search, I'm going to use this as well. If, if I uh, 
had to teach quadratic functions, quadratic equations, that'd be good. Wouldn't need any notes, but uh, I need some <laughs> notes here. Uh, we started in December, so about a year ago. Uh, Laura and I put an offer on a house last December. Someone outbid us. Uh, in February, we put an offer on the house, on a different house, uh, but there was no counter offer from that owner. Uh, in May, we got an accepted offer on a house, so we thought we'd bought a house in May. Um, in Walnut Grove, and we thought that was God's plan for us. However, the inspection, uh, which my dad did, didn't go well. And after about a week of sleepless nights and prayer, as those of you who have bought houses, purchased, or made any decisions, you just don't sleep much, uh, we decided to leave that house behind. Throughout the year, and uh, Tyler Schachter's patience, and uh, as many of you also probably have experienced with him, if you've used him at all, uh, he's incredibly patient. I think that's a third of his job. The other third is probably counseling. <laughs> and then the other third is realty. Um, <clears throat> we probably viewed about 20 to 30 homes. And after that sale fell through uh, with the one that we thought that we bought, we were disheartened. Uh, but we also felt and knew that we had to wait on God's timing and continue to seek his will. Uh, we, we started to uh, pray more fervently <clears throat> that God would put us in a home and neighborhood that was right for us and his purposes. And in the summer, like Keith said, we saw foreclosure come up on the market, and we thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. It's in a, a place that we think God might want us. Um, so it became available, and we went and saw it. It needed a lot of work, and foreclosures, uh, as Keith also mentioned, have to go through a long, drawn-out process, and they eventually end up in court. So that's uh, where we ended up eventually, because through parents seeking uh, the, wisdom, the wisdom of our parents, we decided that we would go to court and put an offer on the house, and, and the court process is this. Um, in court, basically what happens is each person puts in a closed envelope bid. So are we okay? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's okay. Now the monitor's off. Are you guys okay? Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, we found out there was going to be four different offers coming on the house. And we basically put in a number and we give it to the judge and he opens up all the bids and the highest number gets the house. And there's no subjects whatsoever. So that's uh, the way that it goes. Um, we sought the Lord's will and, and prayed multiple times a day uh, that if this was a house and neighborhood that, that we were going to be in, great. But if not, uh, that God would make that clear as well. We just wanted his will uh, to be done. And uh, I even got so bold in my prayers every night to basically say, God, it would be really cool if you gave us a, a number. It'd be, that'd be awesome. Um, I know that you don't work that way, but, or, or maybe you don't. That would be great. Um, <clears throat> so the night before court, we had our parents over to discuss the final offer. I prayed before dinner, and I, I prayed the same thing. I said, God, we'd love to have a number. That'd be awesome. Uh, my dad kind of laughed at me, and that was that. Was that. So uh, we eventually came to our final offer at dinner, over dinner. We decided, okay, we're going to pay 536000 for this house. Let's just see what happens. Uh, our parents said that was good with them. Uh, <clears throat> so we thought we were going to go to bed nice and peacefully, have a good sleep maybe. Um, <clears throat> but then Laura, right before bed, she said to me, Natalie's been saying the number 41 randomly today. And, I, and, I said, and she said, oh, maybe we should up our bid by $5,000 and maybe go to $541,000. And I, I got angry at her. I got <laughs> upset at her. I said, I thought I was going to sleep tonight, and now I'm not going to sleep tonight anymore. Thank you very much, Laura. Um, <clears throat> and it was also the time we're both teachers, and we weren't working. This was September 16th, um, the day of court. On September 16th, when I wasn't sleeping, I checked out Twitter at 3.30 in the morning, and the teachers had made a deal, which was, which was awesome news. So we were awake celebrating that, and that was good. Uh, in the morning, my dad came over, and we were going to go to court with him. <clears throat> and Natalie asked... <clears throat> sorry. 
Uh, Natalie asked where we're going. I don't know. Uh, yeah, thank you for being patient. Uh, she asked where we were going, and we said, we're going to go find out if we're going to bu- go by the house that we're looking at. And that's when Natalie said, oh, we're going to buy the house for 41. Literally. And this is a girl who, she can count, but she doesn't have a favorite number. No such thing as that. Um, and that's exactly what we'd pray for. And took, we took Natalie's advice as a word from God, and we decided that we were going to increase our offer by $5,000 to $541,000. Um, and at court, yeah, there's going to be four offers. And Laura felt a little sick to her stomach, obviously, we were waiting. And she asked God to please make it clear one way or another if this was his will. And typically in foreclosures, even with the offers, they open them up and they don't say anything. The judge just opens up all the envelopes and he says, uh, here's the winner, you have the highest bid, and and just says nothing. Uh, This time the judge was opening the bids and actually saying what the numbers were, which had never happened before. Uh, The selling agent basically said, I've never seen this before, this is kind of strange, why is he reading out the numbers? Uh, so he read out the numbers, and, and he read our bid. He said $541,000. That was the first bid. Uh, the next bid he read, and it was $525,000. The third bid he read, and it was $540,000. <clears> if you don't get that, that's 1000 less than we had, <laughs> we had uh, offered. And the final offer is $521,000. So um, through, through Natalie, essentially, God uh, spoke to us very clearly, and we, I guess, decided to listen, kind of like Joseph did in his case. So, thank you. It's a pretty cool story, huh? God doesn't always speak to us in ways that are obvious. He doesn't always speak to us in a dream. You may not have a young child speak to you in the way that Natalie spoke to her parents. But sometimes God does speak to us in this way. Sometimes he speaks to us in maybe more subtle ways. Are you really listening? And when you make that decision, do you have uh, the sense of confidence and comfort of knowing this is where God wants me? It may not make complete sense to me, but I have this, this sense, this confirmation from him that this is where we should go. Are you willing to pursue what he's telling you to do? even if it doesn't completely make sense to you. Because all of us make decisions. Each and every day we make decisions. So why don't we ask God to guide our decisions more regularly? Now, as far as some practical advice from uh, what we've heard from Dan and Laura and what we've uh, seen here in the story of Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, my advice is, is this. The next time you face a decision, pray this simple prayer. Lord, Please show me what you'd like me to do. Please show me what you would like me to do. And then watch and then listen. You may not know the source that it comes from. You may not know the person that may provide you with that sense of direction. But ask the Lord, please show me what you'd like me to do. Uh, One of the things that I love about church community is being able to Uh, to help one another discern through our decisions. And we heard that through Dan's story, him and Laura speaking with one another, and of course, Natalie being involved and and each of their parents being involved and and trying to come to this decision together. And we want to do that as a church, uh, whether it's a, a, 
very significant thing like a a job transition or buying a home or sending a a child to school, or maybe it's something that even feels much more minor than that. We want to be a community where we listen to one another and we help each other discern what God would have us do together, and then that we would have the courage to follow through with that. So some of you may be in the midst of of a difficult situation. You may feel the weight right now of of a relationship where you're not quite sure what to do or or some other decision. And I invite you to to speak with one of our our members of the prayer team who will be available this morning. They're going to be right up there in between the Christmas trees, and they will be there to, to listen to you. You can share as much information or as little as you want, and they'll keep that to themselves, and, and they'll guide you through this process of praying for, for wisdom and discernment. Lord, please show me what you'd like me to do.